We're going to continue this morning in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at what Rav Shaul has to say about Torah and Emunah, the law and trusting or faith. Rav Shaul and Haigeret al-Haromim, the epistle or letter to the Romans, is staying on message. This is the very message that he has been proclaiming from the very first verses of the letter that he has written to these kahilas or kahila in Rome. It is the message that is burning in his heart and that he wants this kahila to understand and internalize and to make part of their daily life. And it may be to some degree because of this letter that the Kehila in Rome achieved, maybe overachieved, we could say, the um, strength that it did achieve in coming years, decades, and ultimately centuries. Because at least when they received This epistle, they understood what Rav Shaul is saying, and they began to internalize it. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, we have Rav Shaul presenting Messiah, the telos, or the end, the goal of the Torah. And then in verses 14, to 21, Rav Shaul talking about this good news, this Besorah that we have for the world, for Israel, that is so much on his heart, but for the world as a whole. And so let's turn to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 and see these familiar words that we know so well. Brethren, or as it says in the Tree of Life version, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. Rav Shaul is reminding us once again what he has been saying from the beginning. He is concerned for for the salvation of Israel. Israel is on his heart. He cares for his own people. It was his care for the Jewish people that led him on the Damascus road to persecute the the believers in Damascus or Damascus. And it is now that very concern for the people of Israel that drives him and that gets him writing this epistle to a Kehillah where the Jewish believers are marginalized and, and there is a bit of controversy in the community. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation. When my son was circumcised, Rabbi Benzikin of um, Sephardic Bikr Cholim in Seattle came and he did the the Brit Milah for Sam in our home 
This was in the year 1997 when Sam was born. And we had on our fridge a magnet made by my friend Olivier Melnick. And it said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And Rabbi Benzikan looked at that, and I could tell he didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> but this is the heart of Rav Shaul. He wants his people to understand. He wants them to know something that God is doing in our world. And he's going to explain it from the Torah. He's going to explain it clearly so that the people in Rome might understand. And as he unburdens his heart, he has a testimony. He says, I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. And many of us know this about the Jewish people. I think it's common to all people that we have a, a spiritual yearning, a there's, there's something missing if we don't have a relationship with God. And people take this in different directions. But Rav Shaul is sp speaking about the Jewish people who I think sometimes it feels to me as if maybe the Jewish people have a special yearning for God. When you look at the cults in North America, Many of the people in the cults, particularly Buddhism, is typical of this as an Eastern religion, not so much a cult, but an alternative religion. Many of those who have adopted Buddhist practices are Jews. It's, um, it's an amazing phenomenon. There is, in the midst of a Jewish community that in North America has shed its traditionalism, and walked away from its heritage. There is this yearning, and it's ended up in the Eastern religions. It's ended up in some of the cults. Jewish people care. And Rav Shaul testifies about this zeal for God, this zeal for God that Deborah and I became quite familiar with as we got used to the life in the Jewish community in London, where people live their lives from morning to night, 365 days a year, many people seeking to live by the Torah, seeking to live this ideal life to the best of their ability. But Rav Shaul says about them, not based upon knowledge. Now this is an amazing statement. Rav Shaul is writing at the very time that now Jewish people around the world look back at and say those were the greatest rabbis. Hillel, Shammai, Rabbi Eliezer, a few years later, Rabbi Judah, a few years later than Paul, but in the same age. These people that we call the Tanaim, the greatest rabbis of Jewish learning. They are the people from whom we say every generation has descended ever since their time. One of the reasons why, as a people, 
We tend not to question the opinions of the rabbis who came before. The more ancient tradition, the more weight it is given. There was among the Jewish people a tremendous zeal for God. This is what led to the two Jewish wars in the years 66 to 70 or 71 and years 133 to 136 or 137, the two, the two great Jewish wars that resulted in massive destruction, massive death among the Jewish people. And the reason for these wars was this yearning for Jewish, among Jewish people to live for God without the encumbrances of paganism, without Romans governing their religious and civil life. It was a religious age. It was an age when people were zealous. In fact, despite the fact that in North America, especially as you travel to the West Coast in Vancouver and actually further south as well along the coast, you have a lot less traditionalism in the Jewish community. Despite that, and despite the fact that a generation ago, Hitler wiped out one-third of the Jewish people in the world, destroying Eastern Jewry or Eastern European Jewry, which was home to the greatest yeshivas and rabbis of that age, of that time. Today, there are more Jewish people studying the Torah, by which we mean not only the Torah, but Mishnah and the Talmud in that context, than ever before. There are massive gatherings in places like New York where close to 100,000 religious people will gather for special events. In Golders Green, when a well-known rabbi would travel in from England, they would have to erect massive tents because they didn't have buildings big enough to hold the crowds who would want to go and see these famous rabbis. And we're only talking about the men who would attend these events was a very male thing. So they represent every man there is representing a family. There, there is this zeal for God even today. Nowadays they say there is more Torah studied than at any time in recent history and maybe in Jewish history period. And Rav Shaul says about all of that, all of that learning all of that zeal for Hashem, for God. They have a zeal for God, but not based upon knowledge. And that is really the truth today as well. And that is what we as Messianic Jews believe that we are bringing to the world and to the Jewish community, is that the knowledge is great. Yes, it's wonderful to know the Torah. In fact, there's uh, maybe some value. We would say we would not dismiss the value in the Mishnah and the Talmud as long as it is taken as subject to the Torah and not in any way set over it. Yes, there's value in learning. There's value in seeking to the greatest of your ability to live a life that is pleasing to God, and that goes for everybody in the world. There's value in that. 
But this isn't the kind of knowledge, this isn't the kind of learning that really has ultimate value. Because without the right basis, it leads nowhere. And it does not lead to the righteousness of Hashem. There is righteousness. There is such a thing. But the righteousness of God, that is something else. And so Rav Shaul says of these great scholars, people who study practically from morning to night, who's, who have bags under their eyes and whose whole physique, um, you can see it is the physique of people who've done nothing but study Torah. They're not that handy with a hammer sometimes. Um, All of that, Rav Shaul says, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. And there are so many times when we find ourselves seeking our own righteousness, we try to be good. There are so many times when the world seeks righteousness and we try to be good. People, whatever their vision of good is, they're following it. Even some of the terrible extremist Islamists who are killing people are doing so because they think that's the right thing to do. And it's horrific where their false beliefs have taken them. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, that's something we all do. And that's something that happens without us even really realizing sometimes that we're doing it, that we are actually trying to establish our own righteousness, trying to live well enough that we feel good about ourselves so that we think we can stand up in God's presence as if we could ever behave well enough in our own lives to be good enough to stand in God's presence. Rav Shaul says they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. Messiah is the telos, the goal of the Torah. The telos is the end. It's, it's, it's the target. It is the goal. It is the fulfillment. Messiah is all of those things. He is the one to whom it all points. He is the one who matters, and he is the one who broke into history. Rav Shaul is basically telling us here. He is the one who broke into history and gives it all meaning and makes all the pieces fit together. Rav Shaul is not speaking against the Torah. The Torah, he says elsewhere, is good. Nothing wrong with the Torah. And it does show the way to righteousness. When we look at the Torah, we see how we might be righteous. But ultimately, as we look at the Torah, we see also that we can't really be righteous. We cannot please the Lord as he would like us to. And so in verses 
5 to 7, Rav Shaul brings us to a very important point. And now, sometimes people, when they read these verses, they don't quite understand the context. They don't understand the verses that Rav Shaul is going to bring up here to make his point. And why is he picking those verses? When he talks about the righteousness of faith, he says Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. And Rav Shaul is not going to bring us to an obscure scripture. He is actually going to bring us to the climax of the Torah in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. So if you would, please keep a finger in Romans chapter 10, but go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. The reason Deuteronomy is called Deuteronomy in English is it, it comes from Deuteronomos, which means second law. Nomos is the Greek word for law. Deutero, of course, you understand. Deuteronomos, Deuteronomy. In, in Hebrew, we call it devarim, words. Eleha uh, devarim. These are the words which the Lord spoke to us. And this is the Torah rewritten for Israel at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness before entering the Holy Land. Moses has given the four books already to Israel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Those books have been written, but now before they enter the land, it is all reiterated and interpreted to Israel so they might really get it. Because it is important as they walk into this land that they should really understand what the Lord wants of them. It's a completely new generation. None of them essentially have ever set foot in the land of Egypt. They are people who, who are looking for a way to live in a new land that God has promised them. And they've spent their whole life on the road to that promised land. Their whole life has been in the wilderness waiting to inherit it. And Ravsho, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu, we call him Moses, our teacher. Moshe Rabbeinu brings Israel to this point where he says, Now, I need you to commit. And this is it. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11. For this mitzvah, this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it far off. It is not in the heavens that you should say, who will go up for us to the heavens and get it for us and have us hear it so we may do it. Nor is it across the sea that you should say, who will cross over for us to the other side of the sea and get it for us and have us hear it so we may do it? No, the word is near you, very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart to do it. See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil, what I am commanding you today is to love Adonai your God 
and to walk in his ways, to keep his mitzvot, statutes, and ordinances. Then you will live and multiply, and Adonai, your God, will bless you in the land you are going to possess. This is the point at which Moshe says you have two ways. There is life and death. And I am commanding you to choose life. There are two ways that seem good to a man, the scriptures say. Um, This is the only way that God gives us for blessing and for life. And Moshe commands us to live according to God's Torah, according to his instruction. The rabbis say that 613 commandments were given to Moshe. It's a pretty good summation of the commands that are written in the Torah. And David said more than once, but in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, who shall dwell in your tabernacle. And in Psalm 15, he says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. So it would seem there is life offered through the Torah. But it's very interesting that whenever, according to tradition, Rabbi Gamaliel, this is Gamaliel from the Uh, Book of Acts, the same rabbi that we read of, came to this passage. He used to weep, saying, only one who practiced all these things shall never be moved. He got it and he wept. I have to practice all these things to know that I shall never be moved. But anyone falling short in any of these virtues would be moved. Who can stand before a righteous God? But Rav Shaul's point here is that there is a word that is spoken to us that is implicit in this passage. And he points us to the word of faith that if you, that this word is in your mouth, And in your heart, even in the Torah itself, even at the very point that Moshe is commanding these mitzvot, he says in Deuteronomy that this is in your mouth. It's in your heart. It is there. And you should know it. It's not like these laws are too difficult or too far removed that we should not understand them. We know that the scriptures say the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what Rav Shaul says in chapter 10 and verse 9. This word of faith, this is the content of it. Rav Shaul directs us again to Messiah Yeshua. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord, And actually in the Greek it says, um, kurios Yeshua, rather, Jesus, 
Lord Jesus, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua, accentuating his lordship, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in this context, what is it? Is it the salvation of the entire cosmos, which the scriptures encourage us to look forward to? It is actually the salvation from our own shortcomings, because we're in a predicament. This Torah is not so difficult. As Rav Shaul already said in Romans chapter 1, the invisible things of God are plainly seen. But here, if you believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from your inability even to keep and live up to the standards that you see clearly displayed even beyond the Torah in the very nature of creation. For if... With the heart it is believed for righteousness, and with the mouth it is confessed for salvation. Another tidbit from from rabbinical tradition. Someone comes along and says, I've decided to be Jewish, and we get this sometimes in the Messianic world. The Lord showed me, or I've just decided I'm now Jewish, um, You know, people want to be Jewish, so they think they are. Uh, That's not how it works, as far as the rabbis are concerned. And there's, of course, I think they're right in this. You don't just decide to be Jewish. But they said, if it is done in front of a Beit Din, a judge a judgment council, a council of judges, senior rabbis who know what they're talking about. And if you have clearly taken upon yourself the disadvantages of being a Jewish person, they used to say to a person, are you sure you want to be Jewish? Look at all the troubles that have befallen us. This is 2,000 years ago. We're still living with this. Same situation. Look at all the difficulties that are involved with being Jewish. All of the prejudices, the ideas people have about us, the persecutions and the trials that Jewish people have upon them. Why would you want to do this? And if a person commits and says, I'm willing to take that on in the presence of others, which is the point, then that person, according to the rabbis, is Jewish. Now, conversion to Judaism is a whole other topic which we can discuss some other day. But the point is, you couldn't just decide by yourself. You had to say it clearly in front of others. It had to be known. It had to be confessed with the mouth. And it had to be heard by someone else. And this is what Rav Shaul says. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is this aspect of it where we need to not only know intellectually, 
but it needs to have come out of our mouths. It needs to have been said, and it needs to have been heard by people who matter. That, yes, I believe in Messiah Yeshua. Yes, I believe that God raised him from the dead. And Rav Shaul is reminding the people in Rome, this is the point. It's all about Messiah. It's all about taking him on and being willing to live for him. That is what it's all about. It's not about our works, but it's about our acceptance of Messiah. For the scripture says, Romans 10 verse 11, whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. It's not embarrassment that we're talking about here. We're talking about when we come up to the presence of the Lord in the Olam Haba, the world to come. We will have nothing to be ashamed of. We will not be put to shame for the failings that we have had in our lives. But we will be able to say, I rely on the righteousness of Messiah Yeshua. I can't rely on my fulfillment of Torah. Gamliel saw that and wept. He couldn't rely on how righteous a person he was. But we can rely on the righteousness of Messiah Yeshua who vouches for us and says, this is my brother. This is my sister. I died and I rose again for this one. Faith brings righteousness, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, richly generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of Adonai, of the Lord, will be saved. And this is it. We need to call on the name of Hashem. And if we call on the name of Hashem, we call on the name of Hashem in recognition of Messiah Yeshua, whom he has sent for us, so that we might do so. And in this, there is no distinction between any of us in this room today. We all call on Hashem on the basis of the Lordship of Messiah and his resurrection from the dead. And that is all that's needed. All that's needed is that we turn to him and acknowledge what Messiah Yeshua has done. And trust in God based on that. And so Rav Shaul's bringing up something that's so important for the Kehilah in Rome, and that is important for our Kehilah and every congregation and synagogue and church in the world today, that we need to believe in Messiah Yeshua, confess him, and turn to the Lord on the basis of that. And that is how we will not be ashamed. Now, in the last part of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 21, 
Rav Shaul talks about this Besorah. Rav Shaul talks a little bit about this good news because he is still concerned about Israel. He is still concerned about his people. And this is his passion. He is someone who's devoted his life to bring the good news to the nations. But his heart is with Israel. He is concerned for Israel. And he prays, and so he says, How shall they call on the one in whom they have not trusted? How shall they trust in the one whom they've not heard of? And how shall they hear without someone proclaiming? And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good things. Good news of good things. Rav Shaul wants this good news to go out. He brings up that verse that we sing sometimes, Manavu al-Heharim, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who preach good news. And Rav Shaul probably wasn't looking at his own feet at that point. He wasn't talking about his beautiful feet that probably were just kind of uh, road-worn and maybe knobbly and nothing to look at. But he was talking about the fact that it is a beautiful thing to bring good news to the world. Everywhere Rav Shaul has gone, we read it in the book of Acts, Everywhere he has gone, he has gone first into the synagogues and into the Jewish communities of those towns and cities because he wants to bring good news to his own people. And yet Israel as a whole still has not accepted Messiah. And so he says in verse 16, but not all heeded the good news. He has seen some Jews come to Messiah He's writing to the Kehillah in Rome, and many of the people there are Jews. And so there are Jews who believe, but the national conversion of Israel, as it were, the national turning of Israel, Teshuvah, to Messiah, has not happened. It's too big of a ship to turn around almost. The temple is there. There's a huge bureaucracy. There's... There's massive amounts of money and institutions funneled into this, and it is not going to be turned around. People of Israel are bound to the traditions of the fathers, and they have not accepted the good news. They have not believed the report, and this, of course, comes from Isaiah chapter 50, 53. They have not believed our report. But Rav Shaul says faith comes from hearing and hearing from Messiah. There is good news for the Jewish people indeed. Sometimes that good news is not the good news as it is preached to the Jewish people. I think I might have mentioned it before. I had a friend in London who was from a Hasidic background who liked to tune in to Joel Osteen. 
And here Joel Austin on the television. And there was nothing there that disturbed him. Nothing there that rocked him or bothered him as an observant Jewish person. The offense, as it were, (laughs) wasn't apparent to him when he watched Joel Austin. But there is a good news that our people need to hear. There is something that needs to be preached, and it's not always comfortable, and it's not always easy. Sometimes people preach what they think is good news to the Jewish people, and maybe it's on the other extreme from Joel Osteen. The other extreme was a South African brother who would chase after Jewish people outside the HSBC branch in Golders Green and, and yell at them about Daniel 9.25, as if they would have a clue what Daniel 9.25 was all about. And, and try and tell them that Messiah has come. And you could see they just wanted to get away from this person who to them seemed quite crazy. It went right over their heads. And maybe those are extreme examples, but I think for most Jewish people, when they turn on the radio or turn on the TV and they hear the message about Messiah from all kinds of preachers, it's not a message for them. And it's no surprise that most Jewish people might look at those shows, look for a few minutes, and, well, if nowadays a few seconds, and and flip the channel switch and go to, to the next channel out of 300 on the dial. Uh, that's the world we live in. The message, good news for the Jews, is not really reaching our Jewish people. But there is good news of Messiah. And Rav Shaul says, in some respects, it's a very simple message. It's the same message that we all, Jew and Gentile, see. And he's again referring to what he said in Romans chapter 1. Look at the heavens that display the glory of God. And you cannot but understand that there is a God who is good. There is a God of justice. And I'm extrapolating from what Rav Shaul says. But there is a God of order. And that there is a God over it all. I believe it makes a lot more sense to believe in one God who has created the universe than to believe that once there was nothing and then out of that nothing came something and that something blew up into something else and then somehow out of that something um, galaxies and solar systems and planets were formed and out of that somehow uh, molecules came together and decided to create life. You know, it's, it's just an incredible story that we're asked to believe by the evolutionist. But nevertheless, there is a God, and we can see it. And we, we can see him in creation. We can see the fact that he exists. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not understand? Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. 
with a nation empty of understanding, I will vex you. And Rav Shaul is pointing to something that has sadly proven true over 2,000 years. The good news has been accepted by nations around the world. But so much of Christian history has been an anti-Semitic history that has vexed and has troubled the Jewish people. It has been a problem. And if you go back to Deuteronomy, you will see in Deuteronomy that this is actually a, a, a trouble that God brings upon Israel when Israel is not following him. And we know that we are not following him. There are many in the Hasidic community who have no problem saying that the disasters that come upon us are because we are not living a life as a nation that is pleasing to God. We know as a people that if we were all to follow him, he would bring upon us blessing and he would protect us. And Rav Shaul prophesies, as it were, using the words of Moses, that there will be troubles that come upon the Jewish people by those who are not a nation, in other words, the other nations of the world, and those nations that were not raised with the Torah. And yet in all of that, our people have never been able to forget that there is a Messiah that there is one who came from among our own people who has a claim upon us. And our people have been vexed in a very difficult way. And I know this verse is very often used by those who say God wants us or wants Gentiles to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. I'm not sure that's exactly what Rav Shaul is saying here. He's saying there are troubles that come upon the Jewish people. And yet at this very same time as we look at this verse and we can see that somehow the nations have caused great trouble for Israel over 2,000 years. At the very time we look at that, we can see that it is God's calling upon us to love the Jewish people, to provoke Israel to jealousy in a positive way so that Israel might see in us the love of Messiah, that they might see Yeshua within us and actually want to know what it is all about and be drawn to him. And so in a sense, the way I interpret that verse in Romans is to say to the nations, to say to, say to those who are not Jewish, let's not be those who vex the Jewish people, but let's be those who love the Jewish people, to Messiah, Yeshua. Verse 20, Isaiah is so bold as to say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became visible to those who did not ask for me. But about Israel, he says, All day long I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We have grown up and we live in an age when we have seen the gospel going out to the nations. We can see it happening before our eyes as we get older. And most of us here, are, it seems, 
um, you know, we're, we're past the year 30 or 40, and we've seen, seen a few things happen on the world stage. We, we've seen the gospel going forth. I remember when there were no Christians in Libya, no Christians in Afghanistan, almost no Christians in Iran, um, almost no Christians in many different countries in the world, including Saudi Arabia, where now there are hundreds of thousands thanks to their foreign worker um, labor programs. And today there are believers in all those countries that once were impermeable to the gospel. We've seen the good news reach China and Indonesia and places that we might not really have thought of as Christian nations. And we're looking at Africa becoming the greatest Christian continent in the world today. Things are changing and God is at work. The gospel has gone forth, but Israel still has not believed. And this is where chapter 10 ends. Rav Shaul wasn't intending to end here. He is continuing in Romans 11 to say, has God rejected his people May it never be. But nevertheless, Israel has not understood. We have a great good news. We have a great message that is for the entire world and is for Israel as well. And is for each one of us too to internalize that it is not by my righteousness that I stand before God, but it is the righteousness of Messiah who both died and rose for me. What a wonderful blessing we have. And how amazing it is that so many of the issues that Rav Shaul addresses as he goes through the book of Romans, and in fact in all of his epistles, all boil down to that fact. Yeshua came, he lived, he died, he rose again. What a wonderful Messiah we have. And we can thank our God for sending his son into our history, into history, so that we might know about him and that we might live for him. Avinu Shava Shamayim, we thank you for this Besorah, this good news that Rav Shaul brings us, that he brings to the, that you used him to bring to the nations, and that we also desire to bring to the people of Israel as well. Messiah Yeshua, who is to us life and righteousness. Father, we thank you that we live before you, not by the righteousness that could come through the Torah, but through the righteousness of Messiah. And Father, we ask that you might help us to live for you with every fiber of our being, with all of our heart, with all of our body, with all of our strength, so that you might be glorified in us in this world. We pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.